good launching point for for um, our conversation tonight. Some of you know I've been leading a retreat the last week. It's actually not over yet. <laughs> uh, the last week at Spirit Rock uh, Meditation Center. And the retreat is entitled uh, Essential Teachings of the Path or Essential Dharma. And the essential teachings, as most of you already know, uh, are really center around one main teaching, one teaching that all of the other teachings revolve around. In fact, every teaching is one, is a slight uh, offshoot or expression of this one central teaching, the first teaching that the Buddha gave after his awakening. There's a teaching on the Four Noble Truths in a sutra called the Dhammachaka Sutta, the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, the beginning of the disseminating of these teachings, and the heart of these teachings are the Four Noble Truths. And before I talk a little bit more about the Four Noble Truths or whatever else we talk about, I think of these teachings as very profound and very accessible, both philosophical and something that we uh, we can test out very immediately in the, every moment of our life we can test them out. And their potential, if we really do test out the teachings, especially the Four Noble Truths and some of the other ones that are part of the Buddha's teachings, they have the potential to literally liberate, free our heart from contraction, confusion, from struggle, uh, really unleash in us a, a, a kind of love that we've never known, yet once we, we realize it, we realize it was, it was ours all along, and we just had been looking for it in all the wrong places. So the potential is quite profound in the practicing of the Dharma, the Dharma meaning the teachings and the, and the practices, But as you all know, living in modern society, mindfulness, the word mindfulness is now almost ubiquitous. Everybody's using it. They're using it for all sorts of wonderful, wonderful reasons. Lots of self-help, lots of calming, a little bit of cognitive therapy, a little bit of, of affective therapy, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful uses for, for mindfulness. And it's sometimes called applied mindfulness or secular mindfulness. And it's really become part of the mainstream of our culture. But often, for those who have adopted it, they don't have a clue. People often don't have a clue about its potential and about its origin, where it really... where it really. Um, well, its origin is in the nature of everybody's mind, so that's not a... That mindfulness is just something that's quite natural to us, that anyone can develop. But often people don't understand the potential of how it can be uh, used for the what the Buddha called the sure heart's release. And that's why it's useful, I think, for all of us to 
remember that we're not just tra- practicing some kind of little method to make us feel a little better, that we really consider what, what its purpose is. And so I want to just say a few words about the Four Noble Truths and then say a, a few other words about some of the central practices that help us realize the Four Noble Truths and then uh, go on to talk about some of the, this line that keeps going through my head all day long today. And I hear, somehow I hear the voice of uh, Herman Cain saying it. I don't know why. But it, in my mind, it keeps, it, keep, it keeps saying, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody when I try to mimic his accent. But, he, you know, where he said, blame yourself, you know, that, that line. I keep hearing, give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. And that's the direction that I want to go tonight, is give yourself a break. <laughs> But first I want to, to touch a little bit on the, the essence of why we practice, what we can realize in the practice. And I also like to remind everyone that when we talk about the, the practice of, of the Buddha or Buddhism, we're talking about a practice of happiness. We're talking about a potential for uh, to experience joy in our lives. It's a longing that all of us have, joy, happiness, peace. The, the Buddha said that the highest happiness is peace. So it's not, uh, the Buddha was not, even though the teaching that he first gave highlighted the difficulties that all of us confront in our life, it was all in behalf of all in service of, uh, of reminding us that it's not so much what goes on with us in our life, but it's the way that we regard what goes on. It's the way that we relate to it. And if we learn how to relate to reality with, with openness, with open-heartedness, with interest, with curiosity, with a brightness of mind, with a sustained uh, sense of immediacy as we meet whatever it is that happens in our life, if we really stay here with our life as it is, our mind will stop reacting as much as it does, and we will find that right in the midst of our life, right in the middle of it all, with all its warts, with all its difficulties, with all the, that is so difficult for us to bear if you're born, that, you can, that it's possible to find a sense of well-being in the middle of it all. And it's our birthright. Your, your fundamental nature, without even trying, it's uncreated and unborn, is peace. You don't have to create it. But we've, got, we've developed such a fierce habit of, of, um, of running from things that are unpleasant and trying to hold on to things that are pleasant and ignoring the things that were neutral or just not seeing what's neutral, that our life has become a cycle of an endless cycle, what the Buddha called samsara, of dissatisfaction. The potential is to end that, to really, in the midst of it all, find a relief and then never leave it. Never leave that relief because it is your birthright. And just stop once and for all going out in search and instead staying home Settling back, finding, finding, uh, re- finding a sense of wholeness right here.
I've yet to find a person who, when they didn't look back and didn't look ahead, didn't try to get anywhere, didn't move left, didn't move right, didn't move forward, didn't move back, and just stayed here and didn't, for a moment, consult your memory, I've yet to find a person that did not discover even if their body hurt or their mind was agitated, in that very instant of not moving, there's not a person that I've ever met that hasn't found a or glimpsed a sense of peace, a sense of openness, a sense of sufficiency, enoughness, a sense of nothing's wrong, a sense of all desires fulfilled. This is... This is what happens to us when we, when we learn to sit in the middle of it all. Now, the, the alternative to that is that we, that we wander off. And where do we usually wander off to? Past, future. The, we wander off to the me story, to the one who we imagine ourselves to be. The one who's, who's a little better than somebody, a little worse than somebody, who's equal to somebody, who's, who's always trying to get an advantage. I, I was speaking to somebody on the retreat who it was, I was experiencing a tremendous sense of celebration when this person told me. She said she, she was noticing when her mind would go into fantasy, it was always looking for a way that she would come out smelling good. Always come out in a way that she she had an advantage, or always come out saying, looking, uh, always coming out looking good. Any of you ever have that one? This is the human tendency of mind. This is everybody has this. But there's a huge, there's a huge. I don't know if the huge is the right word, but there is a a liberating shift that can happen where we go from actually living in that, in that small sense of I'm, I need to have an advantage, I need to be seen well, I need to, be, I need to win, I need to... All these things that all are born and driven by insecurity, by the insecurity of that personality view that plays through our mind, moving, making a shift from being driven by that to noticing, wow, that's the ego mind. That's the selfing mind. That's the one that's creating the virtual me over and over again. That's not me. That's a story that my mind tells. That's, that can't capture me. I am here in full, as you know, I love to talk about what's actually here. I'm here in full living color. You can't put me, you can't, you can't, capture me in a thought of, of, I'm not reducible to a thought of, I'm, I'm just a little thing that needs to have an advantage and needs people to love me. And I, that's craziness. But we all have that. We all have that craziness. That's part of our psychological self. And the Buddha said, suggested that we start paying attention to that. Because that, in that little world of our imagination, we are constantly, constantly running from that natural peace, running from the 
the you that you that sits here in full living color that's just so so enough in spite of what others say about you. I mean, I'm just kidding. In spite of what you say about yourself, I'm just teasing. Oh. Understanding that part of what generates this world of insecurity that plays in our mind, this, this imagined version of ourselves that just basically increases... The, the longer we live in that little internal drama, increases our sense of insecurity, increases our sense of bodily tension and anxiety and worry and aggravation. We need to start paying attention to that and see what it is that spawns that, that endless running. And that's why the Buddha started with the essential teaching, the essential value of recognizing that if you're here, if, you're, if you are born here, there are things that are pleasant and there are things that are really unpleasant. And one gives way to the other in a constant state of flux. That if you're born, you are subject to the winds of change. You are subject to the winds of circumstances. You are subject to, to the pain of being born, the pain of getting old, the pain of getting sick, the pain of dying, the pain of not getting what you want, the pain of not wanting what you get. Anybody who's born has these experiences that you have to be able to bear. It's not your fault. It's not only you. So why would we have to think about this? Or why would we want to face this? Because when we don't face this, our mind goes into reaction. It goes into, I don't want to feel that. I, don't, I, want, I want the pleasurable moments to last absolutely perpetually. And I want the unpleasant ones never to rise. And if I have unpleasant ones, something's wrong, and something's wrong with me. Anybody have that idea? Those little mistaken little tricks of our mind to go out in search to turn away from the truth of how things are have led us endlessly astray in that vicious cycle of, of insecurity. So what the Buddha said causes, turns the essential un. Uh, unreliability and the essential difficulty of just being here, of being with ourselves, of being with the vulnerability of being human because of all this change, what turns that essential unsatisfactoriness, that's one of the words that's often used for it, or unreliability, that's basically how it is. If you're born, life's unreliable. <laughs> just is. But what turns that into suffering is the deep habit that all of us have to want it to be different than the way it is. And we can acknowledge, yeah, I, I want it to be different, but, but that wanting it to be different gets, um, gets exaggerated to such an extent that we lose complete contact with life the way it is. Mad, 
hot in hot pursuit of the next um, of the next pleasure or the intense avoidance of anything unpleasant, evidenced by the enormous use of recreational drugs and alcohol, the enormous absorption in media, uh, anything but here, anything but you. And I know and you know that when we step out of that tangle of, of fear and insecurity that's born of our, of our endless search, when we step out of that and, as Rumi puts it, live in silence and flow down a little bit, the world opens up to us. Everything opens up to us. Right in the middle of it all, as hard as it is, we can, we can fall in love. We can... We can we can find relief without even solving all our problems. We can have our heart be at rest and not have to wait till the end of the rainbow, till all my problems go away, till all my ailments heal, till my till I have till I've had all the the uh, beautification that I've needed. I don't have to wait for all of that. I find it right in the very seat that I'm sitting, as the very consciousness or awareness through which I'm perceiving. My own mind is, is the Buddha. My own mind is awake, is unborn, is unconditioned, is, beyond, is actually beyond suffering, believe it or not. And we can see that when we, don't, when we come out of the tangle of, of our imagined terribleness to see what is it that we actually experience when we're immediately present? What is it that we can say when we're here and not looking ahead and not looking back? I feel what I say is I'm home. I'm I'm enough. I'm empty. But I'm full. Have you feel any of that? Empty and full. My heart quivers. I feel love. You know, Nisargadatta, wonderful Advaita Vedanta master says, love, wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. Between these two, my life flows. Love that. So the Buddha put it out, life's tough. Don't fight it. What, causes, what turns it into a lot of mental suffering is fighting it, being in contention with life, it's getting caught in a state of craving, in, in rejection and resistance, getting caught in, in trying to become someone other than you are, missing the... Um, your beauty that sits right here. But yet, why do we need to hear this? Because most of us have, all of us have, just by virtue of our, of our conditioning, by virtue of being born, part of our conditioning is to develop a psychological me. And that psychological me born of lots of non-personal influences, parents, culture, teacher, uh, 
movies, so many influences, we tend to get triggered by all the different influences. And the influences, I was telling a story either last night or the night before, my, um, it's just the contrast is really stark to me right now between our inherent beauty and what starts playing in our, our psychological version of ourselves that is sometimes just gets so distorted. Th- that one that plays through your mind doesn't even exist, really. It's just, a, it's just a goofy, the one that thinks you should be different. But anyway, I was, it, this really is about my daughter, Molly, who's now nearing nine years old. And, of course, I've talked about her a lot here over the years. But Molly has become cat-obsessed. She wants a new cat in the worst way. And she is just almost manic with her desire for a a cat. We lost our dog last April, a year ago April, and we've been just kind of hemming and hawing and seeing when the right time to get another dog was. (laughs) But, but, But she is lobbying heavily for a cat. And we're kind of dog people, but she, we just can't, we can't resist. And we were told about the rag dolls and these extraordinarily cuddly cats. But then Molly became aware of the SBCA and the, the shelter cats. And she said, I've got to have a shelter cat because they've been either abandoned or... And then she heard the distinction between... This is, this is purity of our nature, of all of our nature... She heard of she heard of the that they have the old cats and they have the kitties, and everybody wants the kitties and the old cats. They end up putting a lot of them to sleep, putting them down because nobody will take them. And Molly, without missing a beat, says, "I want one of the old ones," and it, it so touched my heart. It's so much the expression of our purity is to respond with compassion. She just felt so much for those older cats. And then I also see the virtual Molly developing, as we all have, that virtual version. The virtual version has gone through all kinds of iterations of, as I've talked about it here, wanting when she was four, she wanted to straighten her curly hair. She wanted it blonde because the other kid, she... She got her identity started getting tethered to whether she was included or not, you know, which all kids go through. Uh, some kids were aggressive. Some, and you see how without any prompting at all, she easily began to have at least an aspect of her being caught up in uh, comparing caught up in judging, caught up in um, dependency on, on how she's viewed by others, all the things that keep us in a state of suspended happiness. So we, in spite of loving her up, in spite of her still very much in touch with her purity, and, without, and in spite of all of us very in touch from time to time in touch with our purity, we've all got to grapple with the virtual me that plays in our mind 
that is, until we become aware of it, until it meets the light of mindfulness, become is just another expression of the craving mind, the craving to be loved, craving to be different, craving for what's next, craving to get rid of what you don't like. All out of care for ourselves, but it keeps us in a state of insecurity. The Buddha suggested in his third truth, he said, first truth, it's tough. Second, we, we get caught up in wanting it to be different. The third, there's an end to that reactivity. We can find relief right in the middle of it all. We can, in the middle of it all, notice that self that selfing process we can notice ourselves building i call it building the house that ego built building the house of ego over and over again that house of ego you don't need as a um you don't need to believe that you function beautifully without having that version that's tormenting you all the time you're you're so much we're all so much more than that and it's, it's kind of insubstantial anyway, and that's why we're so insecure when we follow it. And hopefully Molly will get wise to her own psychological patterns, but who knows, she'll end up in therapy like the rest of us. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> we're human, but... If I have anything to do about it, I will keep mirroring to her her essential, the essential uh, Buddha nature, her essential truth of her beyond any description. As I will keep mirroring back to you if you keep letting me who you are beyond description, which is eminently enough, eminently beautiful and a unique expression of life. There's not one person here that should be other than the way you are. And it's amazing that that version in our mind is constantly telling us we should be different. It's such a, such a missed opportunity to groove, as Alan Watts says, to groove with the present, to dig, dig the present, to groove with the eternal now, to, which is another way of saying groove with yourself as you are. Now, you may want be more interested in having somebody tell you all the things you need to do to become better than you are. It may feed right into your not enough, and then you're going to get caught up in your practice saying, I'm, okay, am I getting there? Am I getting there? Am I doing it right? Am I becoming a good meditator? And you, it may just, the whole process can easily get co-opted by the, that voice of insufficiency. Or you can think of practice and the practice of awakening as a celebration. It's a celebration of opening to the truth, of seeing through the cause of your own suffering, of releasing it moment to moment, and cultivating the fourth truth was that there's a path that, that you can, that actually moment to moment you can fulfill the sense of, of being okay. You can learn to speak in a congruent way, in a wise way, in a kind way, in a loving way, both internally and externally. You can keep your mind clear of intoxicants. Some, this is a seed that we can plant to reclaim our heritage, is to stop running away by stop clouding our perception. We can, we can stop lying. We can stop stealing. 
we can stop uh, we can stop harming each other we can stop killing and this is what our heart wants to do actually our mind when it gets angry when we get really angry and frustrated we we want to hurt everything and everyone there have been a few people on this retreat that i'm leading who have been uh, writing love notes to uh, certain politicians that there was no room in their heart for them. I won't name any names, but they've been writing love notes. And uh, one person wrote a, wrote a note back about the progress that they were making that just the process of inclining their mind toward, toward that natural expression of an open mind, which is loving-kindness, they released some kind of they released some kind of ill will that they didn't even know the extent to which they were carrying how much we suffer when we carry resentment and they experienced this this unleashing of joy now that unleashing of joy is not a joy that was created it's a joy that that our heart just longs to express because that's its nature but we just habitually go out of ourselves in this plan in this search for revenge or or why they, the world should be different than the way it is and it just it hasn't made anybody happy even though it may even come out of a sense of justice but it it hardens into craving because the reaction to the unpleasant so this can end and there's a path that we can follow and that path is is cleaning up your act. The path is cultivating wholesome states of mind, abandoning unwholesome states of mind, real time. There's nobody gonna, there's no one who can measure whether you're doing okay, whether you're enough or not. It just the act itself of practice is enough. Of sin, the sincerity of intention, that's enough. And you cultivate your mind, you keep bringing it, here, as I try to talk about every week, don't let your mind leave your body. You do that over and over and over again. You practice mindful attention. And what's the promise of it? You don't just have a little self-help, but you see deeply into the nature of reality. As then you can bear witness to the fact that everything is changing. There's nothing in this world that you can hold to and cling to as me or mine, as anything. And you start to let go. And you see that it's nothing is ownable. It's not mine. My own body is not mine. My own mind is not mine. Let it go. Give yourself a break. Be kind to that... Give yourself a break. Did I just say it twice? Yeah. Give yourself a break. <laughs> Give yourself a break. Let go of that maniacal voice that says you should be somebody that you are. Live, as Rumi says, come out of the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence. Flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. We are if you practice, we move from that narrow gravitational field of, of me, of mine, of little me, to this wider gravitational field of love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. 
So what we basically, what the Buddha teaches is the Four Noble Truths, teaches about the, the four foundations of mindfulness, learning how to be mindful of your body, mindful of, of the feelings that go on in your body, the, the pleasant, the unpleasant, and in your mind, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, the, all the mental states that get generated, the stories about yourself, the, the proliferation of desires, the, the, all the hindrances that run, and to, to notice our mind move into more uh, wholesome states, the factors of enlightenment, intense interest, intense joy, intense calm, intense mindfulness, intense concentration. We have this amazing capacity that's not just, it's, it's your birthright. It's your true nature to, to have the Buddha unleashed from your heart. Buddha, you call Christ Buddha, doesn't matter what you call it. It's your, it's your boundless nature that's just been caged by this, this virtual version of yourself that isn't real. So please... Realize the Four Noble Truths. Realize that life's difficult. Welcome it. Realize that you keep adding to it by trying to get, get away from it. Stop running away by running after. Realize the relief that comes by being mindfully present. And cultivate mindfulness in every aspect of your life. Your speech, your action, your meditation, your intentions. Keep inclining toward wakefulness. Keep inclining toward goodwill. And uh, may it be the, the cause of happiness, not just for you, but for all beings everywhere. I think that's enough for tonight. Let's just sit quietly. Let yourself come out of the tangle of fear, thinking. Let yourself live in silence. Let yourself feel your interbeing with the life in this room and all beings here and all beings everywhere. If you let yourself go, you may understand the words of Neem Karoli Baba, where he says, I am like the wind. No one can hold me. I belong to everyone. No one can own me. The whole world is my home. All are my family. I live in every heart. I will never leave thee. Oh, crystal tears, taking away my fears. May all beings know peace. May all beings know harmony. May all beings know peace and harmony. Thank you all. Interested in one last little uh, epilogue poem? 
It's one of my favorites. I think it speaks to what we spoke of tonight. And uh, it is a, a repeat here, but I think they're allowed. This is from David Budbill. It's entitled, Bugs in a Bowl. You all know this one. Han Shan, the great and crazy, wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago, said, we're just like bugs in a bowl, all day going around, never leaving their bowl. I say, that's right, every day climbing back up the steep sides, sliding back, over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands, cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself, or... Look around, see your fellow bugs, walk around, say, hey, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. Thank you. <laughs> Just a reminder, as we do every week, uh, this, any teachings that are offered here by me or anyone else, it's offered as, a, as my dana, as, a, as my gift and in the, teach, in the system that's gone 2,500 years of giving and receiving, those who, um, those who uh, I play the role of offering my don in the form of teaching, you, if you feel inclined, play your role in the uh, practice of offering donna in the form of support in the baskets, if you feel so inclined. And so teacher Donna is very appreciated as well. We have $150 a night room rental, and room rental Donna is also deeply appreciated. allows us to keep practicing here, and when you support me, it also allows me to keep doing what I do. So thank you in advance for any generosity, and please practice generosity in all ways in your life, not just here on Tuesday nights. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.